Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You would mistake him for Ronaldo when he's prime, and this is the second time I am making that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> this is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left Ashley Young has played three games since returning to Aston Villa. <laughs> what are you laughing about? I know where this is going. It's not somewhere I want to go. <laughs> First game, 4-2-3-1. He started left attacking midfield. He got shifted into centre attacking midfield before getting shifted into left back in the first game. Then he played left back the whole of the second game. In his third match, he's playing defensive midfield. Central defensive midfield. Ashley Young before getting thrown up to number 10 again. Four different positions, five different times, three games. Welcome back to Aston Villa, I assume. <laughs> yeah, it's madness. Like Smith, Smith picked that team like he walked into the room with his balls out and his <laughs> penis swinging. And his, his hand was forced a bit with the absence of like Ramsey, Sanson, and McGinn. They're all out, but I don't think anyone's hand, didn't think anyone's hand could be forced to such a degree that you would have to play Ashley Young centre midfield. And the other way to think about it is that we know Nakamba is shite, and we know that Smith is, for some reason, completely adverse to playing Dougie to the left or to the right. And you can see what he's trying to do. He's matching up with their midfield. He was he was trying to step Young and Chuck Wemmicka onto their middle two and have Dougie cover and got us. It didn't work. We didn't have control of the game the way you would hope against a newly promoted team. And that can be explained because we were playing Ashley Young and a 17-year-old in midfield. But none of the players had enough courage on the ball either. And the second Burnley, Benford turned up the heat, even a fraction, they wilted. There was no courage to look for a man, to get yourself free, to give your mate a handy pass, to take the ball under pressure. There were too many balls over the top or around yeah. the corner. The cash and target were fucking mad for it. It was horrible to watch. Bundia was too slow on the ball. And when you're missing players that understand the role, players who have 
played midfield at this level for years. That is exactly the type of thing that's going to happen. I mean, I, I can see why Smith was so keen to buy attacking players. We all were, even without Grealish leaving. But that was only part of the problem at the back end of last year. I mean, the second half of the season, there were so few games that we had control of. And we started this season in very similar fashion. Like Newcastle had more of the ball than us two games ago. And now Brentford have as well. Like that that's it. Like you're not going to get to play Newcastle every week. You know, you're not going to get your handy three points off them. So look, to be honest, I am not as downtrodden uh this week because it was an enjoyable game more than anything. I was quite frustrated. Like exactly what you're saying there. It's like it's another team, another newly promoted team who look like they've got a better idea. They've got way more control. Like just 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 consider how often one of those teams has the ball in the middle of the pitch and they're able to turn around and have a look and then pick passes in front of them. That doesn't happen for Villa. And I'm not getting that actually young. I just feel sorry on him getting thrown around so much in three games. Like he probably thought he was coming in to be a leader in the changing room. He'll play when he's needed. But he's literally playing wherever is needed for the team. And it's just, it's like it's like Robbie Brady with Ireland. He was just he plays centre midfield, he plays left back, he plays right midfield. And it's like, you know, oh, well you're a decent player so you, you can fill this void for us and and worse teams have those voids, and I suppose we just didn't want Villa to have them just yet. Now, like it's it's obviously with the backdrop as well of all those injuries that you mentioned. So you come into this game, Mings is out, McGinn's out, Jacob Ramsey's out, Sanson's out, Bailey's out, Bertrand Ferrari's out, Trezeguet's out, Watkins is out. Like they're key players. Like they might not all start. They might all start. Is an other mm. thing. And now you've got Watkins back, but now Cons is out. <laughs> you know, so it, like. <laughs> Villa are in a bit of trouble, injury-wise. But there, there is something like... We're talking about the way they play and how disappointing it is and those balls over the top. Well, I don't get the fascination with a number 10. Like, Villa aren't getting anything from it. And I'm, I'm going to pull you up, Liam. I don't, I don't want to start... Uh, I don't want to start me and you arguing so early in the season just yet. But <laughs> but you, you, you suggested that when Villa don't play a 4-2-3-1, we were wondering why does Smith want to do it? You suggest that we lose something in attack when we don't play that. Obviously, it makes more sense. We all agree to play a 4-3-3. But I don't know what you would lose because Villa's number 10s, and again, Chuck Wemmick has done well today. He's a 17-year-old thrown in for his first game. But the number 10, whoever plays for Aston Villa, never does anything. He's not contributing anything to the attacks. And I, I don't get what you would lose by not having him there. And once more, we're asking... What is the point? Like, what, what's the obsession? Villa did better when Ings moved to number 10, but that was because he was able to join up and become a second striker. And look, if you had to listen to the end of the sentences that I was, that I was speaking <laughs> whenever I said that, you would, have, you would have heard me saying, I don't think we are losing anything <laughs> because McGinn and Ramsey were joining in enough. And look, people can become too, too bogged down in, in formations. Formations obviously matter, especially whenever you're limited in personnel and you can have to pick players in certain positions. But because Villa were so limited in personnel today, that was the real issue. They were playing a midfield of people who haven't played midfield in the Premier League before. Like That doesn't, that doesn't help. And then you, you can't have any patterns of play because these lads don't understand the patterns. It doesn't matter if they were working at it all week. That's just one week. Brentford have been working at this for 12, 24 months. You know, it's 
it's completely different. Young and Chukwemeka can't just play centre midfield of all <laughs> positions in the Premier League against an incredibly well-coached team, a team that relies on its manager and its systems and its pressing, all the things that you don't want two novice centre midfielders playing against. It's five points now dropped in two games against two newly promoted sides. And we got three points against a soon-to-be-relegated side in Newcastle United, who I think got a victory today, actually, so maybe I'll lay off Steve Bruce for another week. But um, it is ironic in that I was getting so frustrated watching that match, thinking, yet again, we've got no control in the middle of the pitch. We've got no patterns of play, like you're talking about. But the goal comes from a ball into the corner, those balls that we malign so often. And Danny, Danny Ings does so well. Like, he's sharp out here. His first touch is great. He brings Ilgazi into the play very quickly, who very quickly offloads it again. Like, that's the key. And it probably is something to be said about, like, getting used to players. Ings is so sharp with his movement. Like, that's like Ings isn't that fast. He's not slow. But his movement is brilliant. He's so energetic. He's, like... I don't even know if he realizes he's doing it, but as soon as he passed it, he's gone again. And somebody like El Ghazi, who was fucking brilliant today, don't worry, we're going to get to him later. Um, he plays a straight back to him into the box, and then Ings has the, the presence of mind to to pick out Buendia, who I thought he was taking his bloody time getting the ball <laughs> out of his feet, but it was a brilliant finish in the end. Yeah, it was. I and mean, I actually think the first touch, the, the, flick, the flick between the legs to take himself four yards away from goal is so bad that it confuses the entire Brentford yeah. backline. But it, like, it comes after a beautiful piece of interplay that you've described there and is followed by an absolutely gorgeous strike. So I'll, I'll let him away with it. Just before we move on to WhatsApp winges, and I know we're only three games into the season, but I remember this time last season, you started talking about we're going to come between 9th and 14th. I have to say, I, I, I can't see anything new and improved from that. Like, Villa came 11th last year. But looking at the team right now, even with all those injuries, I, I can't see Villa pushing on above ninth. Am I too quick to say that? Or do you agree with me? No, I agree with you. I mean, if we were a, if we were a season ahead of the five-year master plan because we got promoted after seven months instead of after 19 months, then... The losing Jack Grealish has definitely put us back on the timeline without a shadow of a doubt. I think Aston Villa would be doing very well to to even be challenging for a European place, never mind get more. I, I don't I don't see us having pushed on at all this year. After three games, but it's three games on paper, Aston Villa absolutely have to be getting nine points from if they are going to be competing for Europe. Five points is a big loss whenever you're in that shit show of the mid-table to European places. And you can't be losing five points against Watford, and you can't be <laughs> and you can't be losing. So you can't be losing five points against Watford and Brentford. That's just not that's not going to help your cause at all. Especially not when you have Chelsea next. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that that's it's, it's going to be um it's going to be a right battle if we're all being honest. Now, shout out to Douglas Louise who seemed to get away with. <laughs> I'd say if this happened. Against Aston Villa, we would be complaining that VAR didn't intervene and look at a red card offence. Um, part of me doesn't feel that much sympathy for Ivan Tony, who's using his arm. His arm is planted stiff and he's holding Douglas Louise by the throat. And Douglas Louise, like you know, sometimes I think when somebody's doing that, you have what's coming to you sort of thing. But Louise seems to... <laughs> it's almost like um, a, a martial soldier using force that he shouldn't be allowed to use on civilians. 
Like he, he just knows exactly what he's doing. He looks down for the center point of his arm into the back of his elbow, takes his own elbow and crashes right down on it. And Tony's holding it for the next minute or two. VAR doesn't want to have a look at it. Brentford Twitter is pretty small, so it doesn't seem to appear on there. And we all just move on. But um, yeah, Louise can count himself lucky, I think. Ah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, if, if anybody's holding you by the neck, then you're you're asking for trouble. I mean, like, get your hands off an older player. What are you yeah. doing? But like, Doug, Douglas Louise obviously shouldn't react, and nobody should ever react in a situation like that, like Douglas Louise did. But fuck it. Like, you know, get your hands off him. Get your hands off him. And let's go to WhatsApp Winges. WhatsApp Winges. Peter Banks is the biggest dork of all time. I like Jesus Christ that that was dreadful incompetence and the commentator said it was Banks's first Premier League game of the season let's hope it's his fucking last <laughs> I mean that, that was it was one of the worst performances I've seen at Villa Park and that includes Ali Sissoko in the 9-0 against 6-0 against Liverpool <laughs> or, or Remy Gard's attempts to look like he gave a flying fuck about Aston Villa Re- like, do you ever hear like Bonhoeffer talk about Remy Gard <laughs> you, you know like Remy Gard would be disappointed at you know at somebody not being able to do something in training but rather than actually intervene or talk or coach he would just go <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy brought in to save the relegation unbelievable to oversee the relegation <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, they confirm what julian westcott wanted confirmed all along <laughs> but the, how in the name of fucking god has tony stayed on that pitch uh, I, I have no idea. This, uh, like, like, apparently, you you corrected me last week. Like, there, there's no need to ever kick somebody in the head. <laughs> that, <I know> that, <laughs> no. The second tackle is a minimum, a minimum, a yellow card. I mean, I can easily imagine myself sitting here in the alternative universe where this game was actually refereed, defending a red card being given for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I would have been taking the piss out of Brentford fans a bit. But the argument would have run along the lines of if you volley someone on the fucking head, you <laughs> run the risk of getting sent off. <laughs> and like, do you know what the most disappointing thing about that refereeing performance was? Was that was probably the one like big major call. Well, that and spoke Douglas Louise refereeing performances from the, the VAR, but it was just a general lack of of um somebody who knew what he was doing like he got everything wrong all the small decisions all the decisions that were happening quickly and often he got them wrong over and over the El Ghazi one was pathetic and there was so often like, the, like when somebody runs into him and falls to the ground when neither of them have anything to do with the play often pulled it up when he could have just played away like there was one period where Villa had cut the ball out from an offside and wanted to carry on. This was an injury time, and he brings it back for an offside. Like total lack of control of the game, and just seemingly unaware of the rules. Yeah, but like even though it started with Brentford bringing the ball twenty yards infield for a free kick, and the yeah. Villa players going fucking mad. There's stud marks all over the pitch where the foul just happened. Yeah, and then Peter Banks pretending he's got control of the situation says, "Okay, okay, I'll put it back." He rolls it back about two yards. It's, it's like two and a half yards at most. It's crazy. Like, why are you wasting everybody's time? Like you're not placating anybody. If anything, you're pissing them off even more yeah. by showing that you don't give a fuck about what they're actually aggrieved with. I mean, Ings gets cleaned as he's racing towards goal. The most obvious 
Oh shite, I have no pace. I'm being done. Harry Maguire-esque tackle I've ever seen. <laughs> and Banks waves play on. And two seconds later, Ings dangles a foot out at a defender who was running across his own box. Yeah. And Danny Ings gets booked for tripping somebody in the box. Yeah. Jesus Christ. As the ball's there to be won for a striker as well. Exactly. You have to let these things go a little bit. Like it's not, He's just trying to control the ball. It's not like he's swinging wildly at it. It's yeah. insane stuff. It was over and over. It was another one of these examples where it was like... I can't believe this is a standard of refereeing in the Premier League. Like I am a broken record. Like I have to keep reminding people, if if this was a standard of referee at your Sunday League match, you would be so pissed off. It's because <laughs> he's ruining the game. He's getting it wrong all the time, and his manner is making people more angry. Like that 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 one you're talking about, like bringing the ball back two yards, not wanting to chat to anybody. Like sometimes I always say. You know, we need to put referees in there, a bit of pressure, let them know where they are. He's the sort of boy that I can imagine in a Sunday league match. People will be in a huddle beforehand saying, boys, we know what he's like. Don't talk to him because he's just going to take a disliking to you like he, he seemed to do with Villa. Now, he still made some stinker decisions for Brentford as well. Definitely seemed a bit more in Villa's direction because he had a bee in his bonnet about some of the players. But uh, it, was, it was crazy. And, and the, the thing that annoys me most, not that he probably ruined a... Uh, what was a decent game for most of it, but there's going to be no consequences for him. Nobody's going to pull him up now. Like like that, that Danny Ings one, for example, that's the sort of thing where if he had a boss in real life, it would be like, Jesus, what was that? <laughs> the Ivan Tony thing? It would be like, hey, we need to talk about this. There would be at least an email sent to him to say, <laughs> to say at you know, 16.42 on the 28th of August, you missed it. But, like, nothing, there'll, there'll be no repercussions, there'll be no chat. He will carry on thinking that he knows better than everybody else and he'll go on and ruin the next football fans' day. And I just hope it's not fucking me again. <laughs> I actually think the worst thing, you, you, it's Twin Zabie getting tripped and pushed over yes, the end line. because because constantly get injured because of that. Exactly. But- fucking captain and best players now add it to the long list of injuries because Peter Banks is an incompetent dickhead <laughs> Kanza is injured like Matt Cash cleaned him by, by somebody pushing Matt Cash he didn't give the free for that as well and it all starts because Twanzebe gets tripped loses his shoe and pushed over the line into the ball and again Banks is an interest that gives a corner and our, our best player and favourite player probably is now out I was so excited that Kanza was captain like what a captain and now he's, he's gone. I've gone knows how long. Tried to play on like a warrior. But Peter Banks doesn't care. He's going to sleep tonight. And Mike Dean's not going to say anything to him. And look, whenever you try to get idiots to do new things, it often confuses them. And Peter Banks was absolutely perplexed by the new rules, by the new letting it flow, by the trying to get the game a bit more excitement, a bit more open. He hadn't a fucking clue how to do it. It was an embarrassment. Second WhatsApp wins. I think Buendia is actually worse at defending than Bertrand Chirori. (laughs) (laughs) At least when Bertrand Chirori is bad at defending, he just doesn't bother coming back. So he's he's not there to be shown how bad he is. Like Buendia comes back, God love him, he tries his heart out and he gets nutmegged, he gets turned, he gets pushed over. I'd rather him not be there. Now in fairness, he, he tries so hard, a lot of the time he does actually get it back. So maybe this is... A classic WhatsApp wins where it's, it's hyperbole. And I actually think because Bundia and Bertrand Trori actually do get back an awful lot for, for wide players, they do put in a lot of yards. It's it's really, really stark because they're back there so often. 
and how shit they are is just exposed over and over again. Did you see Buendia lifting the bottle of Lucasage? I think this was an injury time. He was working like a dog again. I think he had uh, hit the board for a throw-in, like, tra- tracked back, won a tackle, picked up a Lucasage on the sideline, took a swig, spat it out. <laughs> Why did you do that with a Lucasage? Like, you know, what was the point of taking a Lucasage to clean your mouth out? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> Third WhatsApp wins. Why is Dean Smith trying to make a sub 20 seconds after it looks like Konza has done his knee? <laughs> per Cameron Archer. Like, you know, first of all, relax. Let's see how Konza is. I, like, I actually thought when he was walking off, I knew he was going to come back on and try, but I'd say we were both in agreement that he's probably going to come on, try, and have to go off. That's exactly what happened. But in that time, Dean Smith lines up his last sub and it's Cameron Archer who scored a hat-trick midweek. And and then he has to tell him, oh, sorry, you can't come on now. Like, sit back down. He's catered out. He's ready to go. And Kanza has to go off. Now, that, like, that's that's annoying for two reasons because it's, it's shit for the young lad who thought he was getting his chance. But it's also a bit reckless. Like, if that had been 10 seconds earlier and he had got him on, then like we've got no sub to bring on for Kanza coming off. Yeah, Smith got a bit lucky with it, all right. But you know, I'm sure Archer is is annoyed. But at least he was shown today that the manager has faith in him. So he, if he's if he's got any sort of mental strength, which I'm absolutely certain <laughs> a professional footballer does, <laughs> then Archer now knows that the manager trusts him. Like that's that's what he should be thinking of going into the next going into the next game manager was about to bring him on in a game that was in the balance he was going to bring him on for established England international Danny Danny Ings almost certainly so that's something that Archer needs to cling on to and I'm sure he'd understand why he ended up not coming on I mean he could have Smith could always have thrown Ashley Young in the centre half (laughs) I think Ashley Young was off at that stage so his hands were tied But yeah, like it, it's um, I actually sort of wanted to see Archer as well because he took all these goals brilliantly midweek against Barrow, and it is a big statement in that yeah he was going to come on when Villa wanted a winner, and he was, you know, like this is a guy now that they've let go of Wesley. We'll talk about him in a bit, but they've let they've let go of him, like who was a record signing only uh, whatever a year ago, two years ago maybe, and they said no, like Archer's our man now if we need somebody to come on. Um, so it's exciting for him going forward, but yeah, it's just it must have been really disappointing there and then. I'm sure it was, but I'm absolutely certain he'll recover from it. He scored a fucking hat trick on his debut. This man'll be all right. Don't you worry about Cameron Archer. Do you know why I'm probably probably never going to make it as a professional footballer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad that I I immediately thought, well, at least that's better for his goals to game ratio now. <laughs> It's still one game, three goals, where it might have been two games, three goals, because you only got five minutes in this match. You need to get off fucking Wikipedia, who scored in transfer markets. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll hand out some awards after this. We're going to start with the thoughts of the Villa podcast. Maybe it was just because I really didn't want to fucking lose to Leeds United. 
the lifting up of Patrick Bamford with one hand, I did enjoy that because Patrick Bamford is an unlikable character and he's probably being a bit of a twat to Tyrone Mings all game. He's nothing like that either, is he? He's a real. He's like if you. He's an uh, unlikable character. Like one of he's put on a foot. Patrick Bamford can't skin you. It's, it's not. It's not. He's not that type of player. It's not any game. Somebody put on a foot there. I felt all the pain. I imagine I probably sound as much of a, a biased, one-eyed idiot. Block the fucking shot. It was a fucking disaster. I did quite enjoy the hopelessness of their their grief with it though as well though. Still, I'm not that it fucking mattered anyway. Sure, we were beaten anyway. Not that it fucking mattered anyway. Villa was shite. Like there's there's nothing but space. Leeds are going to be spanked a few times this season. Make no mistake about that. I mean, they're they're really well coached. They're really aggressive. They're really adventurous. But the players are shit. <laughs> the, the key line is that we're we're well coached. Um, and very aggressive, but our players are shit. They're not either. They're not shit. I mean, that was great. That did have everything. Only downside, those Bromley accents, though. Really <laughs> go through you, don't they? We'll start with the Ronnie Rosenthal Award. Henry Consley, we were just raving about him there. Um, Lewis Newman tweeted us. To say, you know, we call Courtney House 50p head all the time. Is Ezra Conza the new 50p head? Because he had a big chance there and he headed it straight into the ground. And this was a double chance because he headed it straight into the ground from about seven yards out. And then Ings has the chance. Now, he doesn't have much of a sight on goal. He has to lash at it. It's a good save from the keeper. But two big chances for Villa. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's dreadful. Never mind Big Ezri not anticipating. He doesn't. He doesn't react. I mean, there's plenty of time. The lads in front of him who missed the header, they're not that close to him. And the ball falls at a really awkward height. It's one of those ones. I don't know. I'm not really sure why he goes with his head. Looks like it's at his body's belly button. But he needs. He needs to jump up and get his left foot in that. Yeah. But I think the the Ings opportunity is the big one. I mean, he he has less space. He's under pressure. He's being closed down. It's a snapshot. But he's a centre forward. You can't That's be drilling that. Exactly. You can't be drilling that. The goalkeeper just mopped those up. Your centre half's fucked up. Now you put it in the net. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was one just before I had written down. It wasn't really a chance. But Konza flicked the ball on from one of the set pieces. I think it was a target free kick. And straight away, Konza was pissed off at everybody. Because nobody had come into where he was obviously trying to flick it on. But um. Just obviously something there that they're working on, but like we'd spoken about Konza last year, and that like you know I don't think there was a player who we raved about as much, but this was the thing he needed to start adding to his game, especially for somebody so strong and aggressive and gets his head on so many chances, he needs to start putting them away. And this was another another example of when he gets a big chance, come on man, stick that. Well, exactly. You know, you're you're the you're the best ball winner on the pitch. You're the captain. <laughs> Put the ball in the net, mate. Yeah. Second nomination for the Rossenville Award. Uh, and this is probably the worst. I, look, people probably won't even notice this. Watkins plays the ball to Douglas Louise at the days of the box. And like we we'd mentioned Buendia's first touch, taking him away from the goal. Douglas Louise is all the time in the world. He gets played to him from the left-hand side to the right-hand side of the box. And Louise's body language is just facing away from the box. There's nobody around him. And he, he just sort of takes it onto his left. And 
and faces out the ways and plays it back and and then the chance was to go back over to the left. It was like you had the the opportunity, you had the sight. Watkins isn't passing at you for no reason. He could have played it back like that, but he's given it to somebody in a better position who's just decided to play it back. He just decided to do what Watkins could have done. He would have taken the shot himself if he hadn't known that's what you were going to do. Yeah, I mean, is Douglas Louise at the edge of the box in a better position than anybody else on the pitch? I don't think so. I mean, he has shown since he scored those two screamers that he just has no desire to have a shot. That's right. He, he hasn't he hasn't done anything since. He, he just doesn't shoot anymore. He's always looking to play the ball laterally when he gets at the edge of the box, which is absolutely point. He doesn't even try through balls in that position. It's like he's playing... In, like he's just picked it up off the centre halves and he's under pressure or something. I, I don't know what, what his mentality is there, but he needs to start spanking those balls at, at the goal. You're right, Watkins is rolling at him for a very specific reason and it isn't to trundle the ball back out. <laughs> and it's annoying because he was moved position and I'm going to get into that a bit more in the you like Glenn William take a 90 minute penalty award, but he was moved position to be let off the leash a bit more, to go and affect the play a bit more rather than having the restrictions of his holding role, which he did well. But once the camera came on, Louise was now free to get forward and there was no point in him getting forward if he's going to actually stop the play, like interfere with the attack and bring it back. You know, like if you're in that position, back yourself. Like, you know, again, you're supposed to be the guy with this great right foot. Get it onto your right foot and have a shot. And then only all two nominations, not really Rosenthal-esque. But I have Watkins by two, so he's big header at the end. You know, it's a great ball of Melgazi from on his left foot. Another great ball of Melgazi, who also was the one who set up the chance for Kanza that led to Ings' chance. Um, gets it into the back post. It's it's a difficult angle. Pro- he has to jump over a defender. He hits it straight at the keeper. Doesn't really look like a chance in the end. And then he has uh, that left footed shot as well. A bit more, bit more zip on that, and it might go in. Yeah, he did. the angle's not good enough on that one. It doesn't get it close enough to the post. Um, brilliant that he took it on, though. Had the confidence just to go down the side and have a shot. That's what we needed. That's something we were definitely missing throughout the game. The header, I mean, it would have been incredible. It's not possible, but it would have been an incredible goal. If he can get that back to where it's come from, he'd have given himself a chance. But the ball's come from a long way. It's high. The angle is tight. There are two defenders jumping with him. I mean, it's not exactly scooping the ball off the crossbar with an unprotected net from eight yards out. <laughs> I have Kanza winning this. You have Ings, do you? Oh, I have Ings, yeah. Ings has to score. It's, it's, it's a fucking ball just bobbling around the box. Just slash that into the net. You let Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award. And this one is really annoying me. The Tony Pulis free kicks. Do you, do you know what I'm not on about? The, the free kicks in the centre of the pitch. I mean, like, if you split the pitch in three ways, it's in the middle of the pitch, like three ways coming vertically down. You've got a wing, you've got the centre, and you've got the other wing. And around the halfway line. And Villa taking about 50 seconds to get set up so Target can float the ball to the corner of the box and somebody can't win the header. You know, like these are the sort of things that that make Pulis a really boring, reductive manager. That like this is what got them excited. This is what got him out of bed in the morning. How can I create a chance from this set piece? And Villa, like the excitement in in their in their body language and their positions when they got a free kick in that area that never results in anything. Just like I just want that that ball 
somebody plant it down like a, a rugby league uh, play and just play it off quickly and get going again because like I've never seen Villa create a chance from that position. Yeah, this is absolutely insane. I really hope this isn't being this isn't being introduced more and more by the the new set piece coach. I mean, bringing in a set piece coach to f- get Kanza to stand out next to the assistant referee and then run towards the corner of the box is just it's not anything I want to be involved in for the rest of the season. <laughs> like if that's if I'm going to be watching that, then Jesus Christ, I mightn't be watching Villa for very much longer. Yeah. Dreadful stuff, and it's po- dreadful, but also pointless. It's not effective. Floating the ball out, hoping Konza is going to win the ball against a centre half and a left back, and hoping that then go- ah no, it's nonsense stuff. This is where a manager has to manage. Like you know, fair enough, bringing a set piece coach, she might like you know, Villa scored from two set pieces in the last game might help them defend set pieces but the manager needs to decide when they want to use this stuff and it doesn't have to be every single time you win a free kick you know yeah. like if the ball is in that area play on like that's when the manager and his coaching supersedes all the set piece coaching because like yet again like i'd say the percentages for for a chance never mind a goal from those positions are so low that they shouldn't even be talked about yeah, we've scored goals from set pieces this season but we haven't scored goals from set pieces like that <laughs> no um second nomination how how many times do you think ings was passed the ball today (laughs) (laughs) i don't actually have the definitive answer but i'm guessing that it was two times and this was before he moved out to to number 10 so ings is a striker it's just not being passed the ball And, and like the one the first time he got it was that that lump into the corner and he does really well to bring it back out. And then, and then like El Ghazi plays him a good ball. He creates a chance. Second time, El Ghazi plays him another really good ball first time into the box. And Ings has to shoot, but he tried to pick out a pass. Tried to do the same thing. But apart from that, he's just not brought into the game enough. He's like, again, maybe it comes down to getting used to playing with these players. But there needs to be more of a strategy around getting him into the game. Rather than, once again, we're talking about it, kicking the ball into the corner. What well, like are you expecting Ashley Young and seventeen-year-old Carney Chukwemeka to bring him into the game more? I like there are mitigating circumstances for today. I actually fought in the last game as well. He was he was very very quiet. So we're not actually we're not playing well. Like I said, we should have nine points at the season given the opposition we're playing against and the fact that Danny Ings isn't getting brought into the game nearly enough, criminally underused, absolutely tells you how badly we're playing. Last nomination. Nakamba for Chuck Wemiga. Fuck off. <laughs> and, you know, like you know, Chuck Wemiga was grand for 62 minutes, I think it was. So it, it, it's not like he had to stay on. But to, to get Nakamba onto the pitch when you want to go on and score another goal, they had to move Douglas Louise from the holding position that he actually looked really good in. And this is what we've been crying out for. We want that Douglas Louise every game. So he finally starts looking good there, but they move him uh, to the left or to the right to get Nakamba on. And then they move Ashley Young to number 10. <laughs> you know, so there's so many moving parts just to get somebody who's going to have less impact going forward onto the pitch. Strange substitution when it's 1-1 against a newly promoted side at home. I think it was a strange substitution too, but I also think that it worked. I mean, we had no control of the game at that stage. And I think we definitely got better after the change. I think the, the game had caught up with Chuck Wemmicka a bit. And like I've always suspected, and more interestingly, something we have criminally underused as well, is Dougie can play wide in a three, I think. I mean, 
fair enough, he should have had a shot that time, but Douglas Louise has got good movement, he's got good interplay in his game, and he can definitely play in a more advanced position than just playing in the number six role. And I think whenever Nakamba came on, Villa started to dominate the game again. Not necessarily linked, but it definitely is correlated. So Tony Pillow's free kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing as you shit all over that nomination. Let's go with a Tony Pulis free kicks because I definitely do not want that to become a trend. <laughs> the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Um, actually, Young pickpocketed it in midfield and he got saved by Twan Zabi. Just a classic somebody losing the ball in centre midfield when he shouldn't be. Buendia <laughs> tries a, a back heel to no one and cons his pace and just coolness gets him out of it. Like they're, they're two quick fire ones if you've anything to say on them. If you don't, just, we can move on. Just classic playing a left back in centre midfield role. <laughs> that's, that's the type of thing you expect to happen. <laughs> Martinez and Yanelt, you know, I know it's against the rules, but I do not want my keeper. Does Martinez know that's against the rules? I don't want them of running. Of course he fucking this does. The guy who already got away with one in the last game against Newcastle. I don't want them doing this right beside an attacking player. This isn't the same as jumping into somebody's neck. Of course, Martinez knows that somebody can't kick the ball whenever he's dropping it to his foot. That's just the rule of football. And if anybody in the pitch knows that, it's the goalkeeper. The only thing I find frustrating about that was that the centre forward didn't know. That's professional footballer in the Premier League isn't aware of the rules. He like he, he thought he, like he doesn't understand why he was why it was called back. It doesn't matter if he doesn't touch Martinez. You're not allowed to touch the ball. Martinez is still in control of the ball. I don't particularly like the rule, but that is the rule, and it's been there for a long bloody time. It's mad, isn't it? The commentators, this, the co-commentator, seem to be a little bit baffled by it. It's like, hmm, I wonder, has he done anything wrong? Like, yes, he has done. You don't need to see a replay of this. We all see what happened. Martinez is dropping the ball to his foot, and he's intercepted it before it gets there. I suppose I just think Martinez doesn't need to be so hasty if he kicked the ball forward to a Brentford defender. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Fourth nomination. I, I like again innocuous, but I fucking hated it. Target takes a throw in, right? El Ghazi plays it back to him. It's not a great ball back, and then Target plays it back to El Ghazi over the, the over the head of the defender, and the commentator calls El Ghazi lazy. It wasn't. It was stupid from Target. He knows El Ghazi's offside. <laughs> the Target absolutely knows that El Ghazi has just received the ball on the byline, played it back to him in a hurry because the defender's right beside him. That defender has now rushed to Target, who's chipped it over his head, so he can get rid of the danger himself. So he's not the one who makes a mistake, but he is the one that makes a mistake. He has to know El Ghazi's offside there. He has to know the person who's made the biggest mistake there. Of course, is the commentator because he's not under any pressure. Yeah. <laughs> target is target is involved in a high octane game of football and he might have just forgotten <laughs> whereas the commentator has to know that that's what's happened there the ball has just been played back by like, of course he's offside <laughs> he's, he's not fucking superman despite how he played today he can't he can't get back onside that quickly matt cash falling on his face in the box when he's trying to arse up against someone that was absolutely diabolical. Matt Cash had a really bad game today, and I think that that's that symbolised it really for me. He misses the ball originally as well. I'm not even yeah. sure what he's doing. Why is he slowing down? That's just an absolute mess. Like just knock nudge that back to Martinez, and then it's 
you're safe. Martinez will just lash the ball up the field. That's Martinez's instruction. Yeah. If one of your defenders plays the ball back to you and there's a forward closing down, Martinez gets rid of the ball. That's the end of that danger. And I have absolutely no idea how Matty Cash gets himself in so much trouble. It's such a shit pass over the top to Matt Cash. <laughs> It's an it's an Arsenal thing. Like it, it's it's weak looking. It's stupid, and it's unnecessary. And like you know, that had led to a chance. Like that that was just an Arsenal concession. You know, like that's the best way I can describe it. Like no no need to be giving somebody a chance from from that position. And yeah, you mentioned Cash didn't have a good game. He did not. Like just before that, he tried to take a touch, not realizing somebody might be behind him. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember the one like the ball came across from the right wing? And Cash is in the right. right position, and he takes a touch, and the, the player, the player in the yellow jersey, just runs in behind him and takes the ball. Like it was, there were so many elements where it was like you wanted him to wake up, and then most of the time you wanted him to calm down. He just looks so jittery. And in fairness to Matt Cash, there's been a lot of the times, mostly last year, where he's been left to fend for himself, and it's always looked a bit chaotic. But we've always come back from it, going, Jesus, he dealt with that today. That was madness for him out there. And it looked like that for about 10, 15 minutes that he, he was sort of on top of it. It still looked perilous a lot of the time. But actually, the result was that he was often just kicking the ball for a goal kick or, or for a throw-in or winning a goal kick or you know tackling defenders hard. But it just got away from him and he lost control of, of, of his position, of his sense on the pitch. And yeah, it was an unmatched cash-like performance. Yeah, he was an absolute mess. And games can be hectic and you can forgive players for having moments of of being erratic within the game, but it can't be every single time the ball comes anywhere near you. <laughs> you know? Like you have to have elements of control within the game. And he just didn't have it. That one would have, he tried to take a touch. I mean, you said not realizing someone was behind him and you could end up that sentence a lot earlier. Like he tried to take a touch. And like the touch was dreadful. It didn't matter if anybody was around him. The ball yeah. bounced off him about three yards. It was shambolic. Last nomination for the Peter Enkelman. What the fuck award. Courtney House's touch in general like you know twice it just got him into danger like you know once once again we're seeing this like everybody loves Courtney House he's a good strong defender but when that ball gets caught under his feet it gets caught under his feet <laughs> and it takes five seconds for him to get around to the other side of it to, to get a look to see where it is because he's he's so big like he probably can't see <laughs> like, you know, he needs to see where the hell it's gone like you know like a giant trying to fight a midgey but <laughs> You know, but obviously it culminated in what could have been a penalty. He was so lucky that it wasn't a, a needless penalty, which would have been the last kick of the game because he has such a bad touch and then a lazy leg in that just about got the ball. I, I think last year that's given as a penalty. I just think there's 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 no way that's not given as a penalty last year. I think because of the new interpretation and Peter Banks's inability to referee a football game, we get a bit lucky there. You know, if the player, if the touch isn't enough to make somebody go to the ground, it's not given as a penalty, and that's brilliant. I think that's a great rule change. But last year, that is Villa have conceded a penalty and lost the game in the last minute. Oh my god! Imagine, imagine the anger like we would have fallen right now. <laughs> oh my like, yeah, he wins this. He wins this award for that reason alone. The Vyman meter going up. Anwar El Goatsy. I, I figured out what to do with this lad. Let him play in the under-23s midweek. 
I had exactly the same plot. <laughs> Plays against Barrow, gets two goals, two assists, and then he comes rocking into this match like he is the biggest dog of all time. He might as well have been wearing sunglasses. Everything he did was unbelievable. His touch was perfect. Taking a pass, boys, for fun. Crossing was brilliant. Integrate passing, which I never associated with him. Like, you know, we we often talk about this El Ghazi. This El Ghazi, honestly, like you, you would mistake him for Ronaldo when he's prime. And this is the second time I am making that comparison. <laughs> yeah, but like we should have seconded them with the ball today. I mean, yeah. make, make hay while the sun shines and the erratic rays of Anwar El Ghazi were split in the fucking stones today. <laughs> And you're right, I am wondering if we should be playing him in the reserves every week. We know he's a confidence player and playing him against Borough worked an absolute treat. He was absolutely brilliant today. I mean, I, I think I've texted you before saying if if Grealish thinks it's okay to be farting around with a goal every four or five games, he needs a reality check. I mean, obviously he brings all their things, like an inordinate amount of chances created in control of a game and a shit haircut, but... Anwar El Ghazi doesn't trade in those currencies. He trades in the hard, cold cash of fucking net bulges. I mean, he didn't score today, and he was absolutely brilliant, which is really, really rare for Anwar El Ghazi. He normally relies on goals yeah. to, to justify his selection, but today it was incredible. He was absolutely brilliant. He was electrifying. Like Actually, at one stage, and I hope that he noticed it, the ball just got rolled him on the left wing. Like, you know, Target had it, and then it went inside to Douglas Louise, and it came back to El Ghazi. He wasn't in a better position than any of them. But when it came to him, the crowd just got excited. They got on their feet, to, because this guy was making stuff happen every time he had the ball. It was brilliant. And that one, he, he ran back, and he, he shouldered someone out of the way and just took the ball back, and Target went forward and created a chance. Like That, that summed him up. And in fairness to him as well, I really have to give him his due, because around the 60th minute mark, I thought he had to come off, and it was a shame because he was playing so well, and I thought, I hope I hope he's not too disappointed, but he has to come off, because he looks like he's going to get a second yellow. Mm. And, and, and it, it just, like, it quashed that immediately then. Like, his tackling was clean, his hands up every time he was going in. You know, as soon as it looked like he was towing the line, he never once then, uh, like, threatened that he was going to get a yellow card, whereas I probably would have made a terrible decision in hindsight. I would have taken him off. I mean, yeah, in hindsight, it would have been a terrible decision, but given everything else that you know about Anwar El Ghazi, it would have been a completely justified decision, yeah. I think. But even, it seemed like today he, he remembered that he's over six foot two tall. He won he, a header. He won a header as well. He won a header, but he was also getting toes to the ball yeah. in front of defenders. Like, he never does that. Like, whenever you're that tall, I know. You can just tow, you can you can get to the ball a lot quicker than people realize that yeah. you can, and you can just stretch out your leg and you're gone again, or you get fouled. It's an incredibly lucky trait to have for a winger, and Amor Al Ghazi has it, and he used it today. There was two or three moments where I thought he lost the ball, but he didn't because he just managed to poke it away again and keep going. Ah, he was absolutely incredible. He won a header. You're right. He won a fucking header. <laughs> Uh, fair play, Amor. Um, yeah, I think he only got one shot. It was a nice rasper of a shot that that drifted wide. And he didn't need, he didn't need to be threatening the goal so often to be so good. Like more of that, please. Like that's, like that, that's an Amar Algazi I can get on board with. Like I, I was texting you in the middle of the week, giving out about Dean Smith. The, the, the real, real life WhatsApp winges. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Dean Smith. 
but I was just I'd watch Phil Jean Badesi for the uh, for under twenty threes in the League Cup match as well, and I was like, why the fuck's he not just playing this boy more? Ignoring that Agassi had scored two goals and a points <laughs> in the same game, and then that's what he does there. Then like you know, yeah, there's a break now before the Chelsea match, but get the let him train less because I don't know if he needs to be training. I don't know if he's learning much there. Like you know, just let him play a match in the middle of the week, get his confidence up, and have him prime coming into the weekend. Yeah, and and the shot you mentioned there, I mean, it it drifts about five yards. It doesn't drift, sorry, it flies about five yards yeah. wide. But the power and the the commentator talks about the dip and the swerve on it. There was nothing like that on it. That went like a fucking arrow, Rasp- and it came flying off his foot with absolutely no backlift. It was an incredible effort. Had it been on target, there was no way any goalkeeper was saving. I've never encountered a player. We only have two emotions for Amar Al Ghazi. It's it's I it's like it's either like absolute disdain, you know, pure utter frustration, or like giddy, like childish love. Like I I, I honestly know I'm I'm sort of nervously talking about him that I'm not happy. I'm not happy with the performance I watched. I've never encountered a player like that before in my life. But that but I think that's those two things are absolutely intertwined. I mean the reason the reason I hate Anwar Al-Ghazi for 60% of the season is because I know during the other 40%, he's absolutely brilliant. I yeah. know how good a player Anwar Al-Ghazi can be. And it's, so it's not just the dreadful performances, which are enough for most players. <laughs> but it's the fact that I know that he's better than that. And we saw that today. Definitely man of the match today. But going up on the Vimin meter as well, uh, Emi Buendia, I thought he just he started to show like his terms, was getting him out of trouble. I, I would actually like to see him in the middle a bit more, like you know, drifting into midfield. If, if you want to start him out wide, grand, he's, he does a lot of work out there. Might be good for the shape, but when he comes into the middle, it's exactly what John McGinn tries to do all the time, you know, where he's able to turn away in the right direction, somewhere that we haven't seen because we're just not thinking in the same planes as these boys. And, and it just takes two players out of it every time. And then he, he'll pick a pass and he'll drift away. And like he's better in those tight areas. Like that's his game, I think. Um, and I thought I thought he was I thought he was exciting today, more exciting. Yeah, I think last week we saw his passing ability. This week we definitely saw more of his ability to run on the ball. But I thought he was running on the ball too much. I thought he was dwelling on it. I know there wasn't great support from his midfield behind him, and Danny Ings was getting swallowed up a lot of the time. So the pass wasn't necessarily on. But I just thought he held on to the ball a bit too much today. If he could stitch the two performances yeah. in the last two weeks together. Then yeah, definitely it would have been brilliant, and I'm sure that'll come. I mean, we, we, he's got a he's got a really good array of talents, and it, it was definitely an exciting performance today. He, he just wants half a second extra on the ball, which he's not going to get. Um, and maybe that maybe that is just a fact of the fact a fact of him playing in the championship yeah. last year. It'll come to him. It'll come to him playing at a higher pace. I mean, two of the teams he played against this year were in the championship <laughs> last year. So maybe I'm talking shit, but we'll see. Uh, going up, Axel Twanzebe thought he was brilliant today. He put out a few fires, a couple of big blocks at the right time. Didn't put a foot wrong. Great to see him back in his stride. Yeah, we know Axel Tonzebe is a is a brilliant centre half, and we said whenever we signed him, why the fuck is he signing for us? Yeah, I mean he is he's a player who is too good to be sitting on the bench. But thank God we did sign him, and thank God he did sign for us because 
Jesus Christ, it looks like we need him now. And it's never going to be that big of a drop in quality if Axel Tonsabley is your backup centre half. And finally, going up, Douglas Louise, um, because I liked him in the holding role. You liked the validation of seeing him out further wide in midfield and, and doing a job there as well. Um, yeah, like if, if Douglas Louise was like this every week, we'd all be very happy. And similarly to Anwar El Ghazi, the reason I despised Douglas Louise at times last <laughs> year was because he had been so good for the previous six months. Going down. Matt Cash, we talked about him enough. And then, there's a problem here, right? Because I want to put somebody else down. You know, because we didn't play that well. I thought Brentford, like, maybe overall, or maybe better. Like, it could have gone either way. So, in a way, that, that's annoying that we weren't just obviously the better team. But it's depressing that nobody else really did worse than we expected. You know, to go yeah. down on the meter. I think you could probably put the physio team down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and definitely the communications from the physio team as well because we just don't know what's going on with everybody and like, to be fair to them Colin, the injuries have happened in the last week or two maybe they don't know either yeah what they never seem to know is the problem <laughs> alright questions we can't answer but probably will is Amazon on the brink of the greatest documentary of all time by <laughs> bringing their camera crew into Arsenal this season. It's it's absolutely an incredible stroke of luck. I mean, they, they got Jose Mourinho last year and that was probably exciting for people for an episode. So they, they were probably really excited, but this is just, this is absolutely incredible stuff for them. The other way to look at it is, what is the story here? Mid-table club who spent big and poorly over the summer, easily beaten by the financially doped Champions League finalists, Chelsea and Man City. Like a club famed for shambolic, gutless defending can see the succession of hilariously shambolic goals of gutless defending. Like perennial nutcase and red card waiting to happen. Granite Xhaka gets sent off with his club 3-0 down. Like there's there's nothing really all that interesting happening here. It's just a big load of stuff you would expect to happen. The, the, there is that element. I think you'd asked before, like you know, or you'd mentioned before, j- just the entitlement from Arsenal fans. Like what like what are they expecting after fifteen years now? Like you know, why why is there still that that hype and expectation that someone would be different? Like that that is strange, but there is. It, like Sunderland, this is Sunderland till I die on steroids. <laughs> like you think Sunderland's a basket case club? Like you know, this is <laughs> this is global level of that, and yeah, probably because everybody thinks that they should be doing better all the time is what feeds into it. Which is why Arsenal fan TV is so big or AFTV to give it its proper name now. Like, and I, I did look into it. Like we could go right back to two thousand six, obviously, since all this started, like since the decline began but i decided to look at it since wenger left now you have to remember wenger had 12 years of this decline and what was what was the most obvious thing that they needed all the time there they needed a backbone and i mean that in a mental sense and a physical sense like they, they needed you know they needed guts they needed winners they needed players who wouldn't wilt at the first sign of adversity so they always needed center halves and a proper midfielder 
and they were always looking for it. Like they, it was, it was, you know, again, it was worse than United trying to find a new Roy Keane when they went through Jemba Jemba and Alan Smith and and whoever else. You know, like that only lasted a few years. In fairness to them, <laughs> like this has been going on for what we like forever now. Arsenal trying to find the answer at centre half and midfield. So I just looked at the last three seasons since Wenger left. Wenger's only been gone for three full seasons. This is the fourth summer transfer window. And here's the list of centre halves and centre midfielders, and I mean like holding centre midfielders, that they've brought in since then, since the 2018-19 summer transfer window. Ben White, Lukonga, Party, Gabriel, Pablo Mari, William Saliba, David Luiz, Lucas Torreira, Papas Tapopoulos, Guendouzi, 10 players, 223 million, 10 players in three seasons to come in and play centre-back or midfield, that position that Arsene Wenger needed to sort out. Two, like, they only needed to buy three players. They've spent £223 million in these <laughs> transfer windows since Wenger left. And they, like, not one of them is going to be the answer. It's unbelievable how how mad they are at their spending. Like £222 million would would maybe get them hurricane. <laughs> but like they could have just bought three of the best players of all time they would have saved themselves a lot of money instead I, I don't know what they're thinking with all these signings they're always trying to think on a different plane do they think that Arsenal is above just buying a classic centre half and a classic holding midfielder because I have to tell you they're not and they would have saved themselves a bollock and a shitload of money if they had to just invest their property no they, they don't think to answer your question <laughs> Is TalkSport the worst media outlet of all time? <laughs> yes, but you're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> uh, just, like, just uh, so Alex Crook, now, for, I didn't even know who he was until then, so maybe he'll think that's job done. But I saw him giving out about Norwich. He said Norwich were cheating the system because they were coming up and going back down and coming up and going back down to the Premier League, to the Championship, and not investing the way it presumably means the financially dope Man City are doing, or the people who break FFP. You know, this is a guy. <laughs> this is a guy who's employed as a media personnel, who is now encouraging teams to either go into administration or just break the rules. And he said it's against sport and integrity what Norwich are doing because they're going down, they're getting their parachute payments, and they're coming back up, and they're not pushing on. But. Does he not realize that, that somebody, like, everybody can't just come top of the league? Everybody can't spend all that money? Like, it, it was the most bizarre. Like, I get, it's, it's annoying when TalkSport have those uh, phone-in interviews on, and, and then they put them on social media, and it's just some idiot fan giving some ridiculous statement. You know, like, we've got Tony, a Liverpool fan on here, who thinks Jurgen Klopp should be sacked. <laughs> and you're like, why, why are you even doing that? But, like, fair enough, they've got so much time to fill, and their model is a phone-in, you know, for, for the most part. But this is supposed to be an expert, and I, I don't mind people having different opinions. But like, this, like you can't get away with saying Norwich are, are working against sport and integrity, and they're cheating the system because they're not spending ridiculous amounts of money like everybody else. Well, how dare they not take themselves to the point of bankruptcy? How yeah. dare they not play the game of fantasy football like the pathetic dollars and digital media need so that they can justify their pointless profession by 
regurgitating, recycling, and aggregating transfer stories. That's where his passion comes from, isn't it? Like he, he's annoyed that he can't do that with Norwich. Exactly. I mean, do Norwich City expect expect him to talk about football? I mean, <laughs> how would that work? Sure, the football's not on Wikipedia or transfer market or who scored. Norwich need to go for broke. They need to gamble with the fortunes of the club, with the emotions and the lives of their fans. Like, has Delia Smith never had a chat with Peter Ridsdale, with David Murray or Rangers or <laughs> Josep Maria Bartomeu? Like, where is her ambition? Or Come Tony on, Zia. let's be having you. Tony Zia, have a, have a chat Tony with him. Zia, exactly. <laughs> and the, the other side of that is, is if, if Tom Campbell, Todd Campbell actually does anything this season, sure, we all know what the chat will be. Yeah. Like, he needs to take that step up so we can judge him properly. Norwich are holding him back. There are growing men holding those two thoughts at the same time. Norwich need to shoot for their stars, and Norwich's stars need to shoot off. Yeah. And like, and the other, listen, the fact that Norwich used to be competitive isn't a stick to beat them with. It's something to lament. And the fact that a, a dedicated crop of players, a golden generation from the youth team and inspirational manager that those forces combining are now so unlikely to produce a team that can offer any sort of sustained period of competitiveness for any club. Like Nationwide competition is essentially dead. The fortunes of a club are so dependent on the benevolence of a billionaire owner. Yeah, like That's the only prospect for clubs to climb through the ranks. That's something to be upset about. Like That's not something to, to say, oh, Norwich, you used to be good. What are you doing now? The fact that they can't be good anymore is shit. Like that... A billionaire owner just isn't as objectively good, as fascinating, as inspiring as Brian Clough taking Derby and Forest from the second tier to champions and to European champions in the case of Forest. If football is imagine I'd imagine a less hopeful place now. Like it's more difficult to get excited in preseason because of the concentration of power and players at the very top. Like I know we've had the Leicester story and they recruited three nobodies in the previous two years, who would go on to become the three best players in the league. And they took advantage of Spurs being Spurs, Arsenal being Arsenal. At that time, Van Gaal was throwing himself on the ground. Klopp was in his first season. Pellegrini was in his last. But Leicester winning the league shouldn't be 5,000 to 1. Yeah. There are only 20 teams. That's depressing. A breakthrough player, a new manager. They're great and they have a, an impact, but... We all know the top four is nailed on. Football is just a billionaire's playground. And if you don't have one, it's almost pointless. And like I, I'll be happy with Villa going from 11th to competing for and failing to get a place in the Conference League. Yeah. Like in, the, in the days of your Conan, Jaden, Jacob, Carney and Dean Smith would have been enough to have you dreaming at the start of every year. Yeah. If you had those three players coming through, that would have been, Jesus, we can actually push on here, but you can't do that now. So what the fuck are Norwich doing not just splashing out hundreds of millions of pounds on players that they don't have? <laughs> it's not enough to expect Cantwell to take them there. They're going to have to up their game. <laughs> yeah, and do you know what is um, depressing? You know when you think about the likes of Ronaldo and Messi or you know, whoever moving on, the club selection that, that they'll realistically go to is has gotten so much smaller. You know, yeah. like, like Juventus wouldn't even be in that bracket anymore. You know, yeah. Ronaldo's coming from there, but if he was leaving today to go somewhere, like it wouldn't be Juventus. And it's like, that's a real sign of, of how much wider that gap is getting. Like you could go through 
<laughs> you go through like those clubs like we're talking about Norwich used to be successful but you know the Milans wouldn't even fix you anymore um you know Arsenal <laughs> like you know as much as we like to slag them like that's just not like people aren't going to Arsenal they're going to places where they can get the most money and get an instant hit and then that's just feeding and feeding and feeding every season and the gap is getting wider and Kind and of Barcelona have... aren't even in the conversation anymore yeah. because they tried it. They paid an average of ten million a year to every one of their squad players. Well, there, there is not mad. Think, think of saying this sentence two years ago. What, why, why would Kylian Mbappe leave PSG to go to Real Madrid? <laughs> Isn't that bonkers? Like, but now, like Kylian Mbappe's being questioned for going to Real Madrid and leaving, leaving Qatar. It's 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 crazy. It's it's crazy carrying on, and that's that's the way football's gone. And you know, whatever, like that, that's the reality. And we still still love watching it. It's still good crack talking about it. Martin Braithwaite has taken Lionel Messi's place in the Barcelona team. <laughs> but you the point is, you can't have somebody like Alex Crook even on Talksport <laughs> giving out one week about the Super League. You know, I assume he was like everybody was, and then. Get an out Norway's not spending hundreds of millions of money they don't have. Last one. What is Gary Neville's excuse going to be now? <laughs> <laughs> so he tweeted last year, like, you know, again, probably a week or two after the Super League stuff, and he was leading it. He was speaking so well about how bad this was for football and how, how criminal these clubs were being and how audacious they were being. And he he. He he led the the charge. He, like he he got everybody to pick up the arms. It was brilliant stuff from him. And then he just you know in the middle of a Q and A on Twitter, just says Varane plus Kane plus Sancho equals title. <laughs> talking, talking about Man United and all he got her social To which everybody was like, "Are you for real?" Like you know, uh, you know, for a couple of reasons. If anybody got those players, then they should be looking at the title. But, um, you know, the fact that he's just, like, willing to disband everything he just said before that about these elite clubs. But now they've gotten even better than that. They've gotten Varane, they've gotten Sancho, and they've gotten Cristiano Ronaldo, the best goal scorer of all time, has come in. And, like, United have an embarrassment of riches now. There's no more road for Solskjaer to go down and, and excuse himself for, for not challenging for the title. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the only interesting question around this whole spectacle is now that they have Ronaldo and Cavani for centre forward, Sancho Greenwood for the right wing, Pogba, Rashford, Martial for the left wing, Fernandes and Donny van de Beek. Do you remember him for oh, number I 10? Lingard, Mata, James doing whatever it is they do. The, the only question that is left is when are the Glazers going to fucking back Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? <laughs> When are they going to go out and spend 164 million on three defenders for him? <laughs> Sorry, there is there actually is a second question. Gary Neville said a few weeks ago that that Man United have a lot been a lot more measured in the transfer market, and he thinks he thinks Ole has brought that to oh, the club. Let's let's leave aside Daniel James. Let's leave aside the money spent on Wan Bissaka and Maguire for a second. The question I have is with all that poise and measure. How have United ended up with thirteen forwards and no midfielders? <laughs> that like this is a brilliant question, and it's actually very, very important because that's going to be the excuse that Gary Neville uses in November when United are falling out of the title race, when Chelsea, Liverpool, and City are steaming ahead of them and looking way better. You know they're they're able to do other things than counter attack teams. It's going to be 
well, like, United need to go out and spend 70 million on a midfielder. Like, you know, Liverpool have Fabinho, Chelsea have Kante, they'll go through this list, you know, Man City, buy. we need to do the same. And, like, that's exactly what he'll fall on. And it's going to be so frustrating when he does it. But I will not let him forget that he said Varane, Sancho and Kane equals the title. And now he has better than that. Well, and don't actually let him forget as well that he said that Man United have been more poised in the transfer <laughs> yeah. market. Because Gary Neville is so compromised, it's unreal. Like, Why are we asking for his opinion on the job his mate is doing at the club that he supports? So you might as well ask him if he thinks the beds are comfortable and if the buffet is plentiful at hotel football. <laughs> he should also just be barred from discussing management, from t- talking about anything not related to players, dressing room dynamics, what it's like getting instructions from a manager, the pressure of performing. Because he's also just so scarred from his time at Valencia, so humiliated that he needs to and is at fucking pains to illustrate how difficult football management is. So people can appreciate that he only failed because it's bloody difficult. <laughs> and if, us, if any of us were under any of illusion as to how difficult the job it is, as if we were all somehow being unreasonable by questioning the bona fides of the 20 highest profile managers in England and Wales, the pinnacle of the fucking sport, as if questioning whether or not people are good enough for those jobs, the top jobs in the top league in world football, as if that means we're irrational, bloodthirsty animals. Imagine asking if we can do better than Steve Bruce. If, if Arsenal can do better than appointing someone with no experience and a terrible record since getting the bloody job. Yeah. If 140 or 450 million on top of a squad to finish second should be enough for Solskjaer to even compete. Like Gary Neville is just a nose-tapping twat. Oh, <laughs> If only they knew what I know. Like, <laughs> fucking wise up. <laughs> and you know what was very interesting? Um, in fairness to him, he did a brilliant interview with Roy Keane in, on his YouTube channel. But he said to Roy Keane, when Roy Keane was asking, like, you know, why, why do some managers get seven or eight chances and others get one or two and they're done? You know, and Roy Keane's talking about these these guys who just keep propping up. They fail upwards, you know, and they're on the merry-go-round like Steve Bruce. He does bad at Villa, gets Sheffield Wednesday, does nothing with them, gets Newcastle. Like, you know, and Keane's asking, why, why, why does that happen to some managers? And Neville said to him, you don't play the game. You like you, you don't talk to journalists and keep in with them and give them information. And do you know what it was like? That, that was so interesting to me then. Like, you, know, you had somebody at the top of the game saying to somebody about his management, you're not bringing in these journalists. And it's and like again, we talk about how fo- how depressing football can be. That's just another example of it, and it's, it's given from the horse's mouth. Unbelievably grim. And that's it for another podcast. <laughs> we are <laughs> unbeaten at home. Yeah, didn't mean to sign off on the words unbelievably grim, but um, but here we are. We're unbeaten at home, so that's something to be to be happy about. And there's an international break as well. We don't always look forward to it, but at least Villa won't be playing. And at least a few of the players might be closer to being back. I won't hold my breath. Um, and all that's left to do, really, is to to thank Wesley for coming in, club record signing, and uh, making such a big impact. It was unlucky with a big injury, um, but then he's just he's gone back to club brews now. He's been langed as Villa look at Cameron Archer instead, and they look to Danny Ings. I'll leave you with this clip from Ghostbusters, which I think sums up my thoughts on the matter. Very good, Lewis. Short but pointless.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.